0: Let us pray. Silence in us now any voice but your own gracious God. And into that silence speak your truth, your grace, your hope, your truth, your power, your love, your justice. Silence in us any voice but your own gracious God and transform us by the hearing of your word, for we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Luke, beginning at the 11th verse of the 17th chapter through the 19th. Let us hear God's word. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In anticipation of the release of his memoir, called Born to Run, the journalist Karen Rose produced an epic review, ranking all 314 of Bruce Springsteen's songs. Three hundred and fourteen. Though I know a bunch of them, I must admit to not knowing a whole bunch of songs on that list. Nonetheless, I poured over the list for hours and hours and hours, all in the name of sermon research, of course. (laughs) Like any list, great ballplayers ever, or the best Seinfeld episodes, one could quibble with the rankings. And like any list of anything, best hymns or favorite pizza toppings, the whole thing is a little subjective, I guess, but Ms. Rose did pretty well in her rankings. Song number 35 has become one of my favorites. It's in my own personal Bruce Top Ten list, in fact. It has an uncharacteristic gospel feel to it, and it has a great, great backstory. Bruce wrote My City of Ruins as a kind of homage to Asbury Park, New Jersey, his hometown. But since then, it's transcended its original inspiration and meaning. I first heard it following the September 11 tragedies. I next heard it in reference to New Orleans and Hurricane Katrina. I thought about that song as we commissioned our work group just now. There's a blood red circle on the cold red dark ground and the rain is falling down. The church door's thrown open, I can hear the organ's song, but the congregation's gone. My city of ruins. Now the sweet bells of mercy drift through the evening trees, young men on the corner like scattered leaves, the boarded-up windows, the empty streets, while my brother's down on his knees. My city of ruins. With these words, Bruce sets the stage. Asbury Park, New York City, New Orleans, my parents' home, Akron, Ohio, my former city, Chicago, this city, Rochester. Are they cities of ruins? Or are they something else, something more? Bruce didn't stop there. Neither must we. With these hands, I pray, Lord. With these hands, I pray for the strength, Lord. With these hands, I pray for the faith, Lord. We pray for your love, Lord. We pray for the lost, Lord. We pray for this world, Lord. With these hands, we pray for the strength, Lord. and then repeat it, time after time after time, a kind of chorus, a kind of prayer, really a kind of anthem. Come on, rise up. Come on, rise up. Come on, rise up. I listened to it at least a dozen times yesterday, a kind of spiritual practice thinking of Asbury Park and Manhattan and New Orleans, and tears streaming down my face. As I said, it's a rare Bruce gospel-like song, but it's very appropriate that it's sung in that style. First, a little autobiography. I was born in a Pennsylvania town so little that I had to go to another city just to be delivered. It was then small-town Ohio, and then small-town Ohio, and then suburban Ohio town. It was not until seminary that I found the city. But I think it was actually that the city found me. No accidents here. It's been cities ever since. No accident. Like you. Like all of us. Where you came from and wherever you live now, here you are. Here we are together in a church, in the city. We are here in the city where God is, where Jesus was, and it is glorious, and it is struggling, and it is beautiful, and it is dreadful, and God is here, and so are we. So while we can accept the observation that the city is in ruins now, we embrace ultimately the vision of Rise Up. And the invitation to use the hands God has given us and the voice God has given us and the strength God has given us to rise up on behalf of the city and all who live in it. It's not a Bruce thing. It is a God thing. Jesus came to the city. Our reformer, John Calvin, fled to the city under persecution. The city of Geneva, a city of immigrants and commerce, multicultural tapestry. The writer of Revelation envisioned a beautiful city. The monk Thomas Merton looked around the city of Louisville and realized he was connected to all those people. People he'd never meet, whose names he'd never know, strangers, saints, and sinners. God is here in the city. We believe it. As did the prophet Jeremiah. Now the book of the prophet Jeremiah reflects events Some 600 years before Jesus' life, give or take, Jerusalem has fallen to the Babylonians. And the Israelites are exiled. They, of course, long to return home. But it's not quite that simple. And so it became the task of the prophet this one named Jeremiah, to provide theological interpretation for the political reality of exile. Jeremiah, per Corinne Carvalho, believed that the exile was punishment for the sins of that particular generation. And that set up the expectation that the exile would last at most the length of one generation, but that didn't happen. Time moved on. Exiled children were now adults having their own children in exile. It will be the ethical conversation of another day to explore this immigrant experience, that refugee experience, and to overlay it on our present moment. Though note, in passing, in the Gospel lesson, it is the foreigner who recognizes Jesus and witnesses to the rest of us. Today it's the issue of assimilation, another theme so easily connected to 2016. That is to say, if you come from one culture but are born in another, who are you? And not just geographically. How do you live? Is home there or is it here? And what do you believe? John Holbert asked the question pointedly. How long was this humiliating exile to continue? And what are we to do, trapped in this city, characterized by customs and practices that are both repulsive to us and just as surely repulsive to God? So, the prophet's task becomes to try to make sense of it all, reflecting God's perspective. So, Jeremiah, the prophet, takes a shot at it and writes the unexpected to this people in exile. Rather than protesting or fighting back or acting out, the exiled Israelites should settle. They should marry where they are, they should have families. Patrick Miller says this all sounds very strange and astonishing. But then this, even more so. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city. It is enough of an admonition to us without all of this historical context, but given all the ways that God, through Jeremiah, could have helped the exiled Israelites understand their worldly condition, they are told not only to persevere where they are, to have patience, but to seek the completeness and soundness to pursue the peace of the city where they are. Yes, you will return to your home in God's good time, but for now, this city is your home. So you will worship God here. You will live by God's values here. You will seek the welfare of this city here. You are exiled from home, but you are not exiled from God. So live out the values God would have you live out in the city where you are. Monica Melanchthon writes that praying to God for the well-being of a foreign city was both innovative and a great challenge to the community in exile. For the time being, they needed to accept that the places where they were settled within Babylon were home. They needed to work toward peace and community building in their own neighborhoods. And then Melanchthon pivots, and we pay just a little bit more attention. Jeremiah calls for a movement away from the privateness of the church and into the world, into the public space to address issues affecting people, especially those on the margins, those that suffer from political, social, and cultural insecurity and discrimination. That is to say, if we are called to seek the welfare of the city when we are in unwanted and unwelcome exile, to live a public faith, how much more should we embrace that vision now? In 2016, in this time, in this place, in this moment, in this city? Now there's a whole lot of precedent in our tradition to ignore the question altogether. To pretend the city doesn't even exist beyond these walls. Focus on God, focus on heaven, focus on what is to come, not the here and now, not the what is. Theologians even have a name for it two kingdoms, two cities God's city, and this city. It's certainly true that we are called to live in this world, but not of it. Not to be conformed, but to transform. But in that transformation, there are choices that we make every day. And the strength of our tradition has been lodged in Jeremiah's vision. We don't accept what is, but we also don't pretend we don't see it. A kind of third way. To work for change where change is needed, to transform, not blindly accept, but not categorically reject either, to transform the city, to upbuild it, to seek its welfare. Not the city out there somewhere, but this city, where God has called us, where God has planted us. It would be easy to live at arm's length at heart and soul's length as if we were only strangers sojourning in a strange land, but Jeremiah says no. In terms of peace, in terms of justice, in terms of reconciliation, of course, there are no artificial boundaries. The city of humanity is the city of God. The city of God's future is the city of God's present. The city of ruins is the city of hope, where all are citizens and not just some, where we wrap our arms around the whole city and not just parts of it. So what does that look like? Well, if you bet at this point that I'd mention the Presbyterian Confession of 67, you win. That statement from now 50 years ago offers at least a provisional roadmap. It uses reconciliation as its framework and then raises up four ethical issues. Race, violence, poverty, human sexuality... How is the city doing some 50 years later? How will we respond as our neighbors in Pittsford and Brighton have racist messages delivered to their doorsteps? How will we respond as gun violence plagues the neighborhoods so close to where we are gathered for worship right now? How will we respond when in the face of concerted community-wide effort, Poverty rates are actually growing. And how will we respond as wives and sisters and mothers and girlfriends and daughters, especially our daughters, are exposed to language and behavior that demeans and defiles? How will we respond to seek the welfare of the city here and now, Come on, rise up, Bruce Springsteen sings, and better yet, the best of our tradition sings, come on, rise up with these hands. Rise up, for the man who early every Sunday morning walks down East Avenue with a shopping cart of empty bottles and cans. Rise up for every teacher at school 3 and 35, and every student sitting in their classrooms. Rise up for every lawyer working in the big office buildings just a little way down the road. Rise up for every police officer trying to do their job. Come on, rise up for your soul and theirs, for the welfare of the city, the city of God. Amen.